0: So uh, let's have a look. It's Luke chapter twenty-four, and uh, um, in my Bible that's on page one thousand and sixty-one. You might find it on if you Google Luke twenty-four, you'll be able to find it. We're going to look at both of those pa- uh, passages that um, uh, that Trish read for us. So let me pray, Father. Thank you for this time to look at Your Word, and we pray You'd encourage us now with the good news that Jesus is alive. P- please help us to see not just that that is true but what it means for us today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what does it look like to trust God when the future is uncertain? In these unprecedented times, it feels like the foundations of life are being shaken. But we're here this morning because many of us believe that there is real hope for the future in Jesus Christ. And that hope changes everything. And that hope in turn, as we heard earlier, is based on the events of the first Easter Sunday, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus rose from the dead. But is this really something we can put our hope in? Does it really change everything now? Luke tells us at the beginning of the gospel that he wrote that he's writing this book to give his readers confidence in the things that they heard. Now, if we're going to have certain hope for the future, it really matters that this that we have here in front of us is history, that is not fable or myth or wishful thinking. But what if this is all one big conspiracy? What if, in fact, Jesus didn't rise from the dead, but instead it's all being made up? The disciples hid the body. They were mistaken. He he never actually died in the first place or whatever it might be. Charles Colson was a man who knew a fair amount about conspiracy cover-up. He was Richard Nixon's hatchet man, and he went to jail for his involvement in the Watergate scandal in 1973, one of the most notorious scandals and um, conspiracies in US history. But while he was in prison, he came to faith in Jesus. And later he wrote this about the question of whether the resurrection of Jesus could have been a conspiracy. He said, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus rise from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks you're telling me 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. In the circumstances we face today, as much as at any time, we need certainty and confidence about the future. If you're joining us for the first time or you're still looking into Christian things, we want to share with you The real hope we believe it's possible to have because Jesus rose from the dead. But also for the rest of us, as we seek to live out our faith in challenging circumstances, what difference does it make? What difference does the resurrection of Jesus make as we seek to live out our faith today? The readings we heard are designed to give us that kind of confidence. Luke tells us the facts about Jesus' resurrection. He gives us the evidence and he gives us the meaning. So first, the facts. The first reading that we heard from the beginning of chapter 24 makes clear that Jesus's resurrection is completely unexpected. The women head to the tomb, the same tomb where they witnessed Jesus's body being laid two days earlier, and they're carrying spices to anoint his body. It's clear they are expecting to find the tomb as they left it, and they find the massive stone in front of the tomb had been rolled away. And they're frightened. This is not what they were expecting. Now, the, that idea continues through the rest of the chapter as Jesus begins to appear to his followers. So look, and we're going to spend the rest of the time looking at the, the, the final section that we heard from verse 36 onwards. Look at verse 37. Jesus has suddenly appeared among his disciples. And what do they do? Despite everything they've heard so far, and some of them have witnessed, we don't get a kind of Ernst Stavro Blofeld moment. You know, I've been expecting you, Mr. Bond. No, it's the very opposite. This is the last thing that they are expecting. Their first conclusion, verse 37, is uh, that he is a ghost and they are startled and frightened. Luke is telling us that he doesn't think they made this up. Do you see? So Jesus gives them physical signs that it is really him. Verse 39, look, touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And verse 40, he shows them his hands and his feet and he asks for something to eat. And verse 43, he takes it and he eats. Now, what does all this show? It shows us two things clearly. First, that it's definitely him. He's not a Churchillian double. You know, there are rumours that Winston Churchill had a double who may have recorded some of his speeches in World War Two and that kind of thing. Some people have tried to say that perhaps Jesus perhaps had an identical twin or someone who looked exactly like him. And we're definitely getting into the realm of dodgy documentaries on Channel 5 at this point. But these verses and this chapter rule that out. There's the empty tomb for a start. So if Jesus's body had been stolen or moved at some point, surely that would have come to light. People would say, well, you know, you're saying Jesus has rose from the dead. He hasn't because, look, here's his body. But they don't do that. Um, he, but then he, also he shows them his hands and his feet. Verse 39, the same hands and feet that were crucified, that had nails driven through them. And in John's gospel, this is spelt out as Thomas feels the nail marks for himself and even in eternity, we heard in the first reading of, the, of those we heard. Um, there's another there's another bit in the Bible in Revelation, where we hear that those surrounding the throne, worshiping the Lamb who was slain. He carries the marks of his crucifixion forever. This is definitely him. And secondly, he is definitely physically alive again with a new body. He can be touched. And just for the avoidance of doubt, he eats something so that later when Jesus has gone, not only do they have the memory of touching his risen body, but they also have less fish in the room than they started out with. So like when a student makes a fleeting visit home from university one night only and the next day you think, was it was it just a dream? Uh, Were they really here? Well, the proof is in the fridge Yesterday it was full. Today all the food has gone. He was definitely physically here. We touched him and we he ate some fish, the disciples can say later. But the, These are the facts then that Luke wants us to see. It is definitely him and he is physically risen. But can we really believe this? Where's the evidence? That's the second thing that uh, Luke gives us here. You could say there are two types of witness in this passage. There are, first of all, eyewitnesses. Luke is all about eyewitnesses. He wasn't there at the time, although he was closely involved in the early church by the time the gospel is being preached in the book of Acts. He's investigated these things and found what the eyewitnesses said and given us all the detail, even the stuff that's a bit odd. The women going first to the tomb. You don't make that up unless it's true in that culture, because a woman's testimony was invalid in a court of law the fact that Jesus' disciples are so overcome with fear and anxiety that they don't recognize him, first of all. This is the last thing that they expect. You see, this is all evidence of eyewitness testimony, the same kind of eyewitness testimony that leads us to believe, for example, that there was a battle of Hastings or a sinking of the Titanic. So the question then is, did they make this all up? And the quote we heard from Charles Colson at the beginning shows how unlikely it is that those original Disciples could possibly have fabricated this story and stuck to the details for the rest of their lives. Added to that, you have to ask why they would have continued to do that when their lives were at stake. All except John were almost certainly martyred. John died in exile on Patmos. Peter was crucified upside down, so historians tell us, and, and so on. Why make it up? So that is one type of witness here, the eyewitness. The other is the witness of Scripture itself, the Old Testament. So verse 44, which foretold in different ways that Jesus would come, that he would die and rise and reign forever. You might think if it was so obvious, why didn't people see immediately that Jesus was the promised Messiah? And it's a bit like an Agatha Christie novel. When you, you know, when you first read the, the novel, the ending comes as a massive surprise as the butler is revealed as the murderer on the last page. It's a complete shock. But then you go back through the novel and you realize the clues were there all along. So the law talked of a prophet like Moses who would come to rescue his people. The prophets themselves and the Psalms talked of a king and they talked of a servant who would come and die. And when you consider that humanly speaking, the Bible was written over 1500 years. Uh, with many different human authors, it's extraordinary then that together there is one message and one person who fulfills all the various promises and pictures that the Old Testament gives us. Isn't that extraordinary? That is the evidence we have that demonstrates why we can be confident in these facts as Luke reports them. To us here. So we've seen the facts, we've seen the evidence that supports us believing them and saying, yeah, yeah, no, this is actually true. And then finally, and in many ways, most importantly. The meaning. The meaning of Jesus's resurrection is summed up in the greeting that he gives his disciples in verse 36. Do You see, he says, peace be with you. And in those words, we can see far more than just some kind of hippie greeting, you know, peace, man. No, we can see the gospel. Because it is only through Jesus's resurrection from the dead that his people can find true faith, true peace, rather. They can only, the only way they can find true peace with God. On the night that Jesus was born, remember, what did the angels sing? They sang peace on earth. And now we see how that peace with God is brought about, and more than that, we, we see how much it matters that these facts of the re- of the resurrection are really true—that he really did physically rise from the dead. Because it's only if he did that that we can know that he really has conquered death. The wages of sin is death, says Paul in Romans six twenty three. In other words, death is the penalty for sin and the judgment from God that all human beings deserve for our rebellion against him. And so we need to know for certain that death itself has been defeated, that Jesus didn't just rise in the hearts of the disciples or some other sort of ultimately meaningless way. He really physically rose. When Charles Colson or any other prisoner goes to prison, there comes a day when their sentence has been paid. They've done their time. And how do we know when that's happened? Well, we know when the prison door opens and they leave the prison free once again. The problem with death, you see, is that it's an eternal sentence. It's not something we can escape from ourselves. And the Bible really spells that out, that that is the sentence that we deserve. It is an eternal second death, it calls it. But what then does it mean when Jesus dies and rises from the grave? It means death has been defeated. The sentence has been completely paid. In full. And those who trust him are freed from sin's penalty forever. So Luke wants us to have certainty and confidence, confidence that Jesus really did rise from the dead, that it really was him, that he rose with a physical body. But we can have confidence in the eyewitnesses and the witness of Scripture so that we can have confidence that we, too, one day will rise from the dead with new bodies if we trust in him today. And then more than that, you see at the end of the reading from verse 48 and 49, he wants those who have been convinced to go and be witnesses of these truths. And how badly does our world need to hear of these things now? This is good news, is it not? For the grieving, for the lonely, for the vulnerable, for the stressed, for the anxious. For the frustrated. This is good news for all because all in the end must face death, our greatest enemy. So let me ask you do you have that confidence that Luke wants to give us here? What, what, what can you say in the reality, in, in the face of the reality of life in a fallen world? Perhaps it feels like a particular struggle at the moment to put our faith in Jesus when so much feels out of control. Let me tell you about my brother in Madagascar. He and his family are missionary doctors in a Baptist mission hospital in the north of the country, Good News Hospital. It's a nation of 25 million people, most of whom live in extreme poverty by Western standards. There are eight ventilators in the entire country. Most hospitals have no oxygen. Many don't even have electricity all of the time. And the capital has seen the first cases of coronavirus appear. In fact, there are now 93 in the country as a whole. Humanly speaking, they know these are likely to be very, very challenging times for the nation. There are challenging times ahead for the nation, for their own hospital. What do you then do when you're facing such uncertainty? You put your faith in the God who raised Jesus from the dead. My brother told me a picture of faith that he heard about, um, that someone someone said to him, which was about trapeze artists. So with, with, with trapeze artists, there's always a catcher and a flyer. And the flyer has to let go of the bar that they're on. He has to, they have to hold out their arms and they have to wait to be caught by the catcher. The flyer mustn't try to grab the catcher's hands. They just have to catch. They just have to trust the catcher and be caught. And many of us feel like the flyer. We've had the bar we were clinging to wrenched from our grip. And now we have to choose to trust the catcher. Now that's not saying that faith is a blind leap, which is how it's often described. You know, take a blind leap into the unknown. No, actually, can you see this is the very opposite of that? We can only do this if we jump with our eyes open, fixed on the one we trust will catch us. That's how trapeze artists work, isn't it? It's only the the guy on the guy who's flying will only do that when He or she is confident, um, completely confident that the one below is going to catch them. They've got to trust them enough to trust them with their life. And that is the kind of confidence the Bible tells us we can have in this God who raised Jesus from the dead. We can trust him because he's done that, because of what happened 2,000 years ago. And that means that in the end we have to say, well, what is the worst thing that can happen if we're trusting Jesus? Do You see, even death itself cannot separate us from him if we're trusting him because Jesus rose from the dead. Maybe we fear. For loved ones, we fear grief for ourselves, for others. Well, he further promises that in all things he is working for the good of those Who love him. And we can know that that is true because Jesus died and because Jesus rose from the dead. That shows God's utter commitment to us. If he did not spare his own son, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things, as Paul says in Romans 8. Now, this doesn't make things easy. It doesn't mean that what we fear in this life won't happen, but it does mean that we can trust him because the resurrection means that he is Lord of all and he will catch us. Let me pray. Father, we praise you for the good news that Jesus is alive, that we can know him today. Thank you that in the face of sin and death and everything that we are afraid of, things which are very real in our lives today, we praise you that we know there is one who has conquered all that is evil, that we can trust him with our whole lives, and so whether for the first time or uh, or afresh we come to to Jesus now, we trust in him, praise you for the confidence we have, that as we trust, we know you're with us. You're making us more like Jesus. You're making us ready for new heavens and new earth where there will be no more crying or mourning or pain or viruses and where we will live with the risen Jesus, with bodies raised because Jesus rose with um, a physical body. We too will rise. We praise you for that confidence we can have. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.